They were not of the tribe the team had come to study. They were a sideshow, incidental to the longer journey, and the team did not stay with them long or pay them close attention. They were a staging post. But in the two days that the group sojourned there, Jess, so much the junior of her team, so young that she was considered almost as a lucky mascot, observed the little children as they played a game with stones. It was one of the simplest of games, a kind of noughts and crosses, an immemorial game, a Stone Age stone game. Red stones, black stones, white stones, moved in a square, scratched out upon the sun-hardened reddish ochre mud. She could not follow the rules and did not try to do so. She watched them, the simple children, playing beneath the vast African sky. Bubbles rose from the mud of the shallow inlets, bubbles of marsh gas from a lower world, a watery, shifting landscape releasing its spirits through the green weeds. There were floating islands of tufted papyrus, a sud that was neither water nor land. On the higher banks, the mud dried to clay. From the clay, the children had moulded toy bricks and thimble-sized beakers. They had placed them in a little circle in the rushes, a small party, awaiting small spirit guests. The next day, on the team's onward journey, she saw a shoebill. Their guides were pleased to have sighted this primeval bird, rare, one of its kind, primitive, powder blue, much sought after by bird watchers. The shoebill represents its lonely family. It has its own genus, its own species. Maybe it is a lie to the pelican, but maybe not. Tourism was already making its slow way towards the lake, and the guides thought their troop would be pleased by this sighting, and so it was. But Jess, although she liked the distinguished shoebill, was to remember the children, with their simple stones and simplified toes. They were not on the tourist route. They were her introduction to maternity. She went home, she continued her studies, but she did not forget them. They were proleptic, but they were also prophetic. And she began to think, as time passed, that they reminded her of some early memory, a memory so early she could not recapture it. It had gone, buried, perhaps beyond recall. It was a benign memory, benign as the children were benign, but it had gone. She took home with her a treasure, a stone with a hole in the middle of it, a stone-age stone that could make rain. It was a stone of the small Bartois people of the lake. Had the children been of the Bartois family? She didn't know, but thought they might have been. The Bartois' territory had receded and diminished. They had taken refuge not in the bush, as most displaced African tribes have done, but amongst the reeds and in the water. Jess was to keep the rainstone with her all her life. The pure gold baby was born in St Luke's, a national health hospital in central London, an old institution now relocated in the suburbs. The building where the baby was born is now a moderately expensive hotel for foreign tourists. There is a mural in one of the public rooms evoking a medical past, with surgeons in white coats and busy nurses. Some guests think it in questionable taste.
the smell of disinfectant has not been totally banished from the woodwork. The quality of this small girl-child was not at first evident. She looked, at first sight, like any newborn baby. She had five fingers on each hand, five toes on each foot. Her mother, Jess, was happy at the birth of her firstborn, despite the unusual circumstances, and loved her from the moment she saw her. She had not been sure she would do so, but she did. Her daughter proved to be one of the special babies. You know them. You've seen them. You've seen them in parks, in supermarkets, at airports. They are the happy ones. And you notice them, because they are happy. They smile at strangers. When you look at them, their response is to smile. They were born that way, you say, as you go thoughtfully on your way.